Welcome to Brand on Purpose, the podcast dedicated to uncovering the untold stories behind the most impactful purpose-driven companies, human beings, and organizations. I'm your host, Aaron Quitkin. When it comes to beauty transparency for brands, success stems from speaking to consumers directly about what goes into their products. However, entrepreneurs in this industry are beginning to push the boundaries around accessibility of products and environmental practices, including my guest today, Hanahana Beauty founder and CEO, Abana Balama. With a mission to disrupt the global beauty industry and support women of color, Hanahana Beauty is redefining what it means to be a sustainable brand by increasing accessibility and transparency in every aspect of what they create, bringing realism into the conversation around sustainability. Abana, welcome to Brand on Purpose. Hi, Aaron. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to have this conversation. Well, I'm a little jealous because off air, you told me that you're at uh, Art Basel doing a fundraising event in Miami, which is <laughs> awesome. While we're freezing cold here in December in New York, but I know that you're based in Chicago. And I was reading about your background. And I mean, there's so many interesting things that we're going to explore and kind of unpack. But yeah. one of the things that really stood out for me is, you know, you started out in education. You're an yeah. educator. You taught middle school kids, which is probably one of the hardest things ever. How and why did you make the pivot to beauty and to social impact? So why don't you just kind of walk, start there, walk us through that journey, because it's a big pivot. It's not even any way related. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? There's so many different ways that it is related. But yes, it's very different scopes. And I did not go into teaching with the mindset of becoming a beauty entrepreneur at all or an entrepreneur. I loved teaching math. I taught middle school algebra. I taught high school um, women's studies. I was like an elective teacher that was always connecting things around intentionality as well as like, you know, logic and learning more. But, you know, teaching in Chicago, it really allows you to realize what skills you have and what skills you don't and what skills you want to gain. And for me, I went into teaching after being in the clinical setting. So doing a lot of behavioral therapy, a lot of research, I was planning on getting my doctorate really following that like, you know, first generation model child in that way. So even while I was teaching, I actually started getting my master's in counseling psychology. And while I was teaching, I was trying to find different ways of self-care and being more intentional around just what I was putting on my body because I was always coming at my students about like how they ate hot Cheetos constantly. I even had this like elective class called master class where mm. students learned how to cook like with things that they would find at home. And, but still, you know, just learn how to like make different foods, like learn about vegetables, just all this different stuff. So I was always taught my students had a really great relationship with them where they would always come for me too. <laughs> and I remember one day, one of my students was just like, Miss Bama, are you so intentional about like everything you put on your body? And it kind of just got me thinking around, and that was like 2014. And that's when I started just making products for myself. And being Ghanaian, I literally went home and I had raw shea butter just because like my parents growing up would, that's what we used. And I did not like raw shea butter, but like, it's something that my parents, anytime someone went to Ghana, we brought it back and my mom would like make it, but it was like still hard. And I would just always have it. So I've always had raw shea butter with me because that's what you use on your body. Like, you know. When you say you make raw shea butter, what does that entail? 
So like we would already get it finished. Like this is basically after the cooperatives, you know, now with the knowledge that I know, after the cooperatives have created the raw shea butter, like when our parents would get it, like when my mom would get it, she would melt it down and add like clove oil or cloves to it and then just put it back up and then we use it. So that's what I knew as like making shea butter was just like my mom melting it down, which is not the process that we do. It's, we do a meltdown process, but very much more after, but that's what I mean by like receiving raw shea butter for my parents. Right. Right. All right. So you're definitely a Renaissance person, right? I mean, you talk a lot about mental health, entrepreneurism, you know, well-being, like trying to get kids not to eat hot Cheetos and things like that (laughs) are pretty good. I have to say, just not every day. Takis or hot Cheetos though. Have you ever had Takis? No. Because that's another, that's another like spicy Cheeto that's pretty good too. <laughs> I'll have to ask my daughter. She was very into all that stuff for a while. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, I have kind of a secret junk food addiction. I think a lot of us do. And maybe it's not so secret. So I try to keep it under wraps, except <laughs> for right now, I guess. I digress. So where was that moment where you decided, you know, I love these kids or most of these kids and I love teaching and being an educator, et cetera, et cetera. But what I really want to start is this incredibly transparent, you know, all natural, sustainable beauty brand. I mean, that was in 2017, well, 2016, I was giving out Shea at the time I was making our Shea body butters, which is our top seller now. And I was making that and I was I think those were the only products I was making is just like different scents and trying it out. And I would give it to friends. I would give it to my family. And a lot of people kept on saying like, oh my God, you should sell this. Like I would buy this from you. And I was just like, mm, like this is not really what I do. <laughs> I'm getting my master's, you guys, right now. Like I'm trying to get <laughs> this, like, you know. And I mean, I just kept getting that. I was also found myself going to this yoga class called Black Girl in Ohm. And it was a yoga class for Black women. And I just felt so seen in the space. And I had never been around a brand that was so intentional about making sure that you knew that this space was for you. And I also was just involved in a lot of activism, community work in Chicago. And I think I was just kind of fed up with a lot of things going on. And as people kept on telling me about like, oh, you should launch... I kept on looking a little bit more in the industry of beauty and I was just like, this doesn't even make sense. Like I've been a consumer of beauty forever since, you know, being a child, you see how you're reflected in yourself. And I started doing more research about the process of just shea butter itself. And I just was like, this doesn't, (laughs) all of this doesn't really make sense to me. It seems like there's a lot of money in this industry. It seems like there's a lot of work that goes into this industry, but no one really knows about all the work that's going on. Like I'm doing the research to find this out. And yeah, and so I remember one day my my roommate was like, I'm gonna sit down with you and we should create a plan. And I was like, girl, relax. She's like, no, like how much money do you think you really need? And I'm like, I don't know, like I need some bottles. I should definitely make the aesthetic beautiful. You know, I should get all that together. And she's like, okay, yes. And I think we just like wrote down like $500 going into the beauty industry is way more than $500. It's really great when you go into it naive. But I remember that December, I went home, I told my parents, I went to my dad and my mom was like, you guys, I think I'm going to do it. They're like, yeah, because you're spending all this money just making Shea for yourself. And my dad is actually the one who helped me come up with the name. 
he was like, okay, like there's effet, which in Chi are dialect means pretty. And I was like, oh no, that's basic. Like pretty skin feels really basic to me. And he was like, hana hana, which is a slang word, which means like something that's smooth, something that's malleable, something that's flowing. And I just thought it just sounded really good. And it made sense. It described the product and how I felt. Cause that was the whole point of why I kept making the skincare was like, oh, well, I want to create products that I know I will use and will work for me. And I also know what's going into it. And I know the story behind it. And that's kind of what started it. And I, I launched it in 2017 in March around my birthday because I love my birthday. And I was like, this will be the motivation to make sure something's a celebration. And yeah, I worked with some friends who were photographers and creatives around that time that helped me really like cultivate my brand identity of what I wanted Hana Hana to portray, which was this storytelling moment around process and this transparency moment of seeing like what goes into it. Cause people used to see me make Shay in my kitchen and see the whole process. So I wanted to take people beyond me, but the actual raw materials and then expand within, you know, the space of how we create products. And but that was the beginning. That was really, I really came into the beauty industry quite naive. I really just wanted to tell stories around the women who were creating the raw products as much as letting Black women, especially in the beginning, just know this is a product that has been created with your, you in the mindset, the intention, and you're not the backdrop. You're not just the the money reason why I'm creating this product. You're the products being created because I'm thinking about black women at all times. And you source the Shea product from this cooperative in Ghana, right? So you import it. Yeah. So we source our raw Shea. We have a, um, our skew of products now from our Shea butters to our facial masks. We have a lot of different products and we use a lot of different ingredients, but we continue to source our raw Shea from Ghana, from the Katarga Sogolo Cooperative. We also source our black soap. We source some of our spirulina. And then when we're not sourcing directly from cooperatives, we're working with vendors who have ethical standards that they're sourcing from too. Right. And is Shea, and I'm sorry for my ignorance, is Shea butter or raw Shea butter, is it an important part of Ghanaian culture or is it not? I think it's it's important part of beauty culture and Ghanaian culture and West African, like especially in the Northern region. I mean, shea butter is used in over like 75% of your cosmetic products that we have on shelf today outside of just your raw, like your makeups, like different things. So there's so many people that are sourcing raw shea. Shea butter is an integral part into beauty in Ghanaian culture. Yes, it's an integral part into the financial runnings of like the northern Tamale areas of how there's a lot of money that comes out of shea butter. It doesn't go directly to the people that are creating it, but it's a huge industry. And definitely culturally growing up, shea butter is something that is very important because you grow up using it. You grew up using these natural, this like clean beauty industry that we, you know, everyone is talking about the last 10 years within the beauty space or five years within the beauty space is something that has been traditionally what we have grown up with as Ghanaians, as West Africans, as anyone that's from indigenous culture. A lot of us grew up within these, like, you know, just natural, traditional things of taking care of yourselves. So it's interesting. About six, seven months ago, I had Katonia Bro from Unsun on the podcast. Yes. yes. She was incredible. 
I don't know if you ever met her, but she has like such an incredible like vibe. Like, you know, if I'm like really, really stressed, as soon as I met her, I was just like, ah. so there's something about her. It just kind of brings you like into this like very, very peaceful state. I don't, you know, people either have that or they don't. She definitely has it. She but does. It, it's just interesting because, you know, she's one of the first to create really an inclusive skincare sunscreen brand that was truly inclusive. And I think she also probably found herself accidentally doing it and then loving it, right? Because you moved from education. If I recall, she had like a construction company. Yeah. I mean, think about that, right? But why do you think, in your opinion, why do you think there's so much misunderstanding around not just the ingredients in skincare products, but the importance of skincare for people of color, especially in the United States? I mean, I think a simple answer would be like capitalism, <laughs> like, you know, um, marketing jargon. To be honest, I feel like the beauty space, the beauty industry itself is a marketing industry. I think that's like, if anyone goes in the beauty space and you don't understand that, everything from why women use razors to why we put things on our body the way we do, to why even clean beauty is clean beauty, it's all about marketing. And, you know, the people that have been within the industry have known a couple things. One, that Black women will continue to push beauty on the sense of even if it's not made for us, we will create it for ourselves. And then also at the other end that the the raw ingredients that you're getting it from are also coming from Indigenous or Black women. So there's those people that are in the middle that know that. And it's like, when you know that information, you then have the choice to either move with it that the way that makes you the most money right away. You move with it in a way that's sustainable for all the people apart or not. And I think when you think of the beauty industry, you have to remember the society that we live in. You have to understand white supremacy. You have to understand how that's embedded in all these different things. So if we're living in the society where marketing is one the push for the industry two capitalism is a thing three people want to eat and make money and you see it as wow this cheap product i can turn it and have 86 percent margins and not you know do all these things like as much as when we're saying it out loud like that you're like well that's crazy you should probably be sustainable you should think about everyone involved and that's how i see it it's just like well we can all eat in this, you know, like the people that are benefiting and sustaining this industry by putting their money into it, the products should be made with them intentionally, not just because, you know, it doesn't like people are know how to make different shades. It's what the shelves wanted. It's like a train of like all these different things. So I think it's, it's more about the intentionality within the beauty industry and how intentional or unintentional really has been and what it means to like storytell. And I think at the end of the day, some people are storytelling based off of because they know that it's important. They're creating their financial, you know, your foundation in a way that is beneficial to all people involved. Or you're doing it because you realize, well, you know, black women do sell, like I should have this on here and whatnot. So it's an interesting space because a, a lot of people within the industry though are trying and are moving in a direction of intentionality, but it's a very large, large industry. And it's not just 
the founders. It's around these big corporate industries. It's around your vendors. It's around how people are sourcing. It's, you know, there's so much, your supply chain, all of those different things. So it's a lot of different parts. And I think like it comes around this attention to what's going on and then the intention that you have behind how you move and grow your brands. And your intentionality is really centered on what you call the Hana Hana circle of care, right? And that's yeah. what you're talking about right now, being able to be part of a community that you not just source from, but you also support by sourcing through them directly. Yeah, I think it expands. When we started the Hana Hana circle of care, that was our our motive was around how do we create this benefit system? Like, how do we create something that I, in the Western world, view of this like benefits, right? Like when I'm a teacher, I'm supposed to receive benefits. And that was one of my issues, even as teaching, I was like, wow, I'm, I'm literally molding children's lives and I'm not fully sustained off of the work that I'm doing. Right. So how can I create that? And when I moved to Ghana in 2017, started working with the women or 2018 is when I moved, but 2017, when I started going back and forth, we would talk and have these conversations about what access looked like. And I didn't want to be a charity because I feel like charities are not sustainable. So it was around the fact of how do we partner? You have access. I have access to certain things. You have access to Shay. I have access to connections of healthcare, or I have access to Visco and Vogue stories of telling what's going on or how to like navigate those spaces. So how can we both use our access and help sustain each other? Because at the end of the day, if these women decided not to sell me their shea butter, we would not have a business. And so it started off with the paying two times asking price for what raw shea was. And then we focus now within healthcare and we look at these models of like access, transparency, sustainability, not just with the Hanahana circle of care, but how we create our products from supply chain to also how we support the community that supports us with their dollars. So how do we activate? How do we storytell? How do we showcase within our marketing, all those different areas? And we're continuing to expand it this year. We're really excited within our social impact to be able to expand within how are we showing up in Chicago community too, and being able to activate, especially with children, because I loved working with children. I've always loved working with children. So it's like, how do we continue to go back and work in these spaces and create access in different ways and continue to connect everyone through the product? And you started this, did you say 2017? Yes. Okay. What difference did you see between, I mean, I realized you were still a startup and you started in 2017, but then COVID hits in early 2020, Q1 2020. How did COVID impact positively or negatively or neutrally the business? It was already a young business. You were just starting out. And, you know, we saw actually a rise, especially in online orders. And, you know, people are on seeing each other in a weird way. They're seeing each other more during lockdown virtually through screens. And, yeah. you know, suddenly you had a surge even in men now wanting to get, you know, creams and plastic surgery not me what you see here is unfortunately all real uh, <laughs> yeah this is it 51 years of it yes but i'm just curious did you see a big difference like how did covid impact your business yeah we did i mean our business grew i mean that year i think it was like over a 300 percent growth within our business and it was really scary because in the beginning of covid 
I had just came back from Ghana. We had done like a small pop-up in New York around Women's Day. And I came back, I said my, my birthday, and then it was like locked out. And so I, my team that I was putting together, I had to like tell everyone to go home. And I started making all the products, again, all by myself, shipping products out by myself. And it was, you know, obviously with everything with COVID, everyone sitting at home with the death of just multitude of, of Black people being shown on screen, especially with Breonna Taylor, Ahmaud Arbery. You know, it's also spiked this like consciousness, but also lack of consciousness and a lot of things that were going on within the industry. And people also didn't know where to put their dollars and wanted to put their dollars already in, you know, black owned businesses. And the thing was that we were quite an established young brand that was taking the marks of consciously clean, like all these things beforehand. So we already started that boost right away when March happened, when COVID. And then it was like another boost. So it was like a gradual kept growing. And I was like, I remember going into 2020, I had a goal of like, okay, each month let's make consecutively like $10,000 each month. That was like a goal of mine going in. And we surpassed that goal very quickly, which was really great. And it allowed us to grow, you know, winning the Glossier Initiative. I was able to move into an HQ, like a loft where we have a full setup. I was no longer making in my three-bedroom apartment. And it allowed me to grow my team. You know, it allowed me to really sit down also with my business and strategize and focus on connecting all these different parts of how do we actually grow a sustainable brand. And it also allowed me to start fundraising and just being really intentional about creating leadership within my, within the business. And I think now I feel more confident, like saying I'm a founder CEO, being able to know what those responsibilities mean of like management and growing team and strategizing future growth. And, you know, I just feel more confident, like being in the beauty space actually, and speaking the dialect and the language that everyone understands there. So, yeah. I mean, you're clearly a natural spokesperson and marketer. You're articulate, you're compelling, which is helpful. And then how did you backstop that with folks who had marketing experience to get the product out there? Yeah, I mean, so that started, we, I mean, you, we were growing organically. I mean, this year was our first year starting using ads. So when I started, I was like, the best way to get people is for them to be in real life. And so we would do these activations. We now call it chill series, where I would travel around like New York, then LA, in Ghana, Paris. We would be like yoga and chill. We would do classes, yoga classes, and just tell people like, hey, this is a class to come to yoga and after chill. And that chill could look like mass. That chill could look like learning how to roll a herbal joint. That chill could be like having all these different cool brands. We would collaborate with Outdoor Voices. We would collaborate with Nike. Like you know, to do these activations. And then we would do Beauty and Chill, which was, I was getting these beauty editors from the beginning who, you know, we had Maya Allen at the time who was like with Coverture, but now she's at InStyle, the head beauty director, or like Brooke DeVard, who now is Naked Beauty, which is one of the biggest podcasts, like beauty podcasts. And we would do these conversations. So we would activate in ways where we would bring people to 
like, you know, meet someone that they're like, oh, I've been kind of following them or I don't know what this is, but this seems cool. But then we would also have product there. So it allowed us to like start this organic way of just like growing in person as well as online. And that really helped when, you know, these editors who know me because, oh, they've been trying the product, but now I'm at Essence and I have the moment to write about a brand, I'm going to write about you. And that's like, it was these genuine friendships that came. And I feel like though, when I started working with Create For Her, which is a consulting group, and that gave me more of the beauty like mindset and aspect because I was working with two women that were Black women within the beauty space that have all this you know, experience and were just giving me the ways and knowledge and I could ask questions. I could ask what an MLQ means or I could ask what, you know, all these different things that I would feel a little bit uncomfortable asking when I'm in conversation. And then, you know, being able to attend like Clean Beauty School, which was Amy Lou from Tower 28, like having these mentors within the beauty spaces really helped me just connect and understand more. So I think I've always had this natural thing about like strategizing and marketing, just because as a teacher, right, you kind of have to strategize around how do you, you have to teach each kid differently. You can't just give a lesson and everyone, you know, gets it. And I think the one thing I had this, I'm so happy for the experience to be in a charter school was the push of experiential learning. And I think that's how I move in you know, for myself of how to learn, but then how people can learn about our products. So it's like from online, physical, like how are all the different ways that you can learn about Hana Hana and get to our product, you know? So that's try how I try to strategize around how we can reach people. And you've taken outside investor money at this point? Yeah, we started taking outside investor money. We have two angel investors. We just got in to a accelerator program and you know, are still working with different ventures and things like that. But I have to tell you, I hate, I hate fundraising. I hate it so much. (laughs) Here's the thing though, like, you know, I'm involved with a lot of nonprofits as well. And I have been for my entire life. It sucks when you're fundraising for a nonprofit, although it feels better. And also when you're, you know, looking for investors for your business, right? Yeah. It's uncomfortable. I think asking people for money, except I guess the one benefit or the one upside is you can at least say to them, or at least your intention is to help them make money on their investment and do good at the same time. Cause that's the whole point here, right? Again, you look at this, I'm not a beauty expert by any stretch. This is concept of skinimalism. Have you heard of this? Like skin minimalism? I'm sure you have because you're in this. Yeah. <laughs> can you just explain what that is and and what does it really mean? And does it mean like people using less product or does it mean people using clean product or a little bit of both? Honestly, I don't know. I don't know. There's so much. <laughs> okay. <marketing>. Like I, <laughs> I'm going to use my like keywords of skin and minimalism of what I would think it would mean. But I think it's just like the beauty space. This is these types of words, like clean everything. Like it's so marketing. You know what I mean? Like there's so much sometimes you don't know what is bad for what is good. There's lists that like, these are the list of things that you should not use. And it's like, actually, maybe you should look into exactly what it is. Like, you know what I mean? Skin minimalism from what I think it would mean, you know, using my context clues is around the fact of not utilizing so many products. That's what I would think. And I think it's more so, it should just be about consciously knowing what you're putting on, like being conscious about 
what type of products or how these people are creating their brands. You know, I think a lot of people have their definitions of clean, their definitions of, you know, and for me, my definition of clean is not toxic because that's what clean is like non-toxic, which honestly, that should be the whole industry. There should be non-toxic products. Like no, no product should be like, yeah, I am a toxic beauty product. Like, you know what I mean? So it's interesting. Like, I feel like for me, like I do minimal skincare. I don't do a lot, but also I don't feel like I need to do a lot. So I don't, I'm never the person to tell people like, don't put this on your skin. You shouldn't do this. Cause I don't individually, I don't know what you're going through with your skin. I can only tell you the things that I know does good for skin or what this ingredient does and why we use this ingredient. And if this is something that you're looking for, this should be able to do this based off of the research and testing that we've done. So it's really interesting having a skincare brand, being a consumer of all skincare too. Cause you know, at sometimes myself, I'm confused as a consumer and that's why I kind of just stay within <laughs> the things that I know. Right. Or do the and, you're, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, but you're not a makeup brand either. And I'm not a makeup brand. Which is different. Very. <laughs> Very different. Color, when you, once you start going into color cosmetics, you know, and I think makeup and hair and I always, beauty itself is such an expansive brand. And especially like, you know, as a black woman, I, I am so intentional about what I'm putting on my body because, and that was one of the things of like, even just starting and why I started having a lot of like this confusion and wanting to make sure I want to make my own products. So I was like, wow, the, the people that are creating all these products don't even look like me. Like <laughs> they don't even know my experience, you know, or if they do, I don't know. And so I'm always, anytime I'm hair, whatever, I'm like, what is this? I'm so skeptical. I'm, you know, so as a brand founder, I like, I know that I have all the eyes. I want to make sure that we're doing exactly what we say. We're giving, if we say that it's going to last this long, I want it to last this long because the girls will tell you it does not last this long. They will let you know on the internet, everyone, their friends, family, They'll tell you it look and because that's what I do, you know. I'll be like, yeah, it's, it looks nice, but you know. So, yeah, yeah. You've been incredibly generous with your time. I have one last question for you, though, and you might not have an answer for this because most people don't, or they don't want to disclose it. What is the long game here? I mean, you're still new into this. You have a ton of energy. You're meeting an unmet need, and what I love about your story is it is multi-layered. So you're creating products that are good for people. And they're also good for, you know, the communities that you're sourcing the core ingredients from. Like, you know, you're not only paying them double or triple, which is great, but you're also providing them healthcare and access to a better life that they might not have had, had it not been for you. And you're also raising awareness, obviously, around, you know, a lot of very important issues that have come to the fore that you touched on. So you're doing all these things, you know, you want to keep it small, keep it all? Do you want to continue to scale? Do you want to be a division of, you know, Unilever one day? Or do you just not know? I'm just kind of curious because you're, you have such great momentum and vision. And I do think that you're creating a template for others to follow in other areas. Yeah. First of all, thank you for all of that. You know, I think I really 
in a vague way, like self-sustainability is very important. The brand itself, I want it to be a sustainable brand. Like I want it to scale to the growth that it is. The people working from my team to the women to everyone is feeling sustained within the work that they do. So I think that's like a big goal of mine in general. So scaling does come with that. That's why we have these investors. It was our first two investors was Alexis Ohani and Anna Brofman and very two separate people, but it was intentional to have them because you can look at Alexis Ohani and see what he's built and how it grew from something small to all the way in multitudes of, from metaverses all over to Anna Brofman who also started in a way and you see how she's moved from DJ to just lifestyle, just growing community. And I think both of those angel investors is kind of like this cultivate of what I see of Hana Hana of how we can continue to grow and scale. I don't think that I have to always be the full head of everything forever. I used to feel that way in the beginning of like, I'm never going to sell this. But I think for me, it's just to make sure the foundation that we're building with Hana Hana sticks through. So if it's 15 years, 20 years, 30 years down the line, it is still standing within it and it's still growing and scaling with it. So the same level of scale that we have within product is that means that it should be replicated in the impact that we have. I never wanted that the way we're scaling and how people learn about how good our products is not the same as the impact. And so like, as we're fundraising right now for, you know, actual growth and scaling, that we did in Art Basel a couple of days ago was for our social impact because we're also scaling and growing in that. So I think that's when I think of the future of Hana Hana is like the way we grow, the way we scale should be the same way we scale and grow and impact too. I love that. Great answer. And I just so appreciate your time being on the show. You are an inspiration for all of us. You really, really are. And, and I know you, you thanked me before, but I should thank you and everybody should be thanking you. And I honestly can't wait to see you continue to grow. And hopefully there's a very smart strategic investor because you know as well as I do, there's a lot of money everywhere, but you need the right money. Money that has the same shared values, a mutuality. It's just so important. And I'm hopeful that someone listening today is one of those folks or more than one of those folks who can help you continue to grow and scale and do well by doing good. So thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you, Aaron, for having me on the show. This has been an episode of Brand on Purpose with Aaron Quickin, the podcast dedicated to uncovering the untold stories of companies, organizations, and people who make it their mission to do well by doing good. Special thanks to our amazing production team, including Lindsay Hand, Dara Cawthron, Julie Strickland, and Nina Valdez. Learn more about our show and sponsorship opportunities at brandonpurpose.com. Learn more about our host at aaronquicken.com.